there's a big discussion around uh, everybody really talking in the, about future generations, climate change in the future, really it's happening now. Thanks for tuning in to episode 14 of season one, We Blue Dot, a conservation podcast. Enjoy listening. Welcome everyone, wherever you're listening from. It's great to be joined by Joel McFarland today, Education Manager at the Association for the Protection of Rural Scotland. Jo also owns her own conservation education business and has a vast array of experience in the wildlife world. I first met Jo while she was campaigning for the Deposit Return Scheme in Scotland called Have You Got the Bottle? And I'm excited to hear about what she's been up to since then. And so with that, Jo, thanks for coming along and welcome to We Blue Dot. Thank you very much for inviting me. Great to be here. It's lovely to see you again. So where are you joining us from, first of all, and, and how has life been over the last year for you? So I'm joining you from Fife in Scotland. Um, and yeah, it's been a really interesting year, I have to mm-hmm. say, um, personally, as you can imagine, as uh, for all of us, um, as well as um, for my business and my work and my career, mm-hmm. literally since um, the pandemic began, I think my career has uh, changed, I think, about uh, three or four times, whether it be <laughs> within my own business um, through to um, uh, now uh, being more working for APRS. So um, it's just been such a roller coaster year in so many ways, but also a really positive one as well for me uh, personally um, when it comes to my work, um, as you'll hear a bit later on. Yeah. No, everyone's uh, everyone's experienced it very differently, but I think there's definitely there are definitely positives to take out of it, as you say. So before we get into your current roles and and what you've been doing over the last year, do you want to tell us a wee bit about your your kind of route into conservation and the different roles that you've had? Um, and have you always had a love for the natural world since you were a wee? Yeah, um, I definitely have. So I was very lucky. I had. Um, my parents who really did love nature themselves um, which is why I guess we ended up living a little bit more rurally as I was growing up um, and um, they inspired me very much to care about nature whether it was um, you know not harming the bumblebee that landed on me and that might sting me my dad would um, say whatever you do don't kill it I'll, I'll take it off you and I was still very young with a, a love of nature like that and to care for it um, and um, and then um, through my younger years of early teenagers, I started um, years I started volunteering for. Well, really, I grew up in Cornwall, so around where I lived, there was the RSPCA, um, where they um, were doing wildlife rescue of hedgehogs and swans and things like that. So I volunteered with them when I was about thirteen, fourteen, and then I got a very lucky opportunity to volunteer at the Cornish Seal Sanctuary, which I now believe is called the National Seal Sanctuary in sure. Week in Cornwall, and um, and that was where I I I really had the first chance to uh, take conservation action because a common seal pup had been brought in, couldn't um, didn't know how to feed um, and didn't know how to take fish from the water. So every morning I had to go there. Um, uh, meanwhile, while all my friends were at parties and things, <laughs> and when I was well, quite young parties, the end of 15, um, I was um, in the in the pool in the seal sanctuary dragging fish around trying to teach them. <laughs> the common seal pup how to take it and I did that day after day after day and then eventually it took the food it started to grow and they could re-release it and I was there when they re-released it into 
and local seas. And um, I guess being really young like that and being part of a big team who were really passionate, um, it just it, it got me going to realise, well, you know, as a, an individual, even if I'm a teenager, I can I can do something, even if it's only for just one particular individual. Yeah. Um, I can I can really move and shake things just even being <laughs> so young. And um, and so then that kept me going, studying biology and things like that, and at school, and um, because I knew then I wanted to be very much in the marine world and wanted to do yeah. stuff marine, and um, and then I went to uni. And the, the thing was, I always loved languages as well, mm-hmm. and I was a real struggle because I love speaking languages, particularly German. I really love speaking German, and um, so when I had to choose my uh, studies at uni, or I wanted to, I had to choose. Well, could I do biology and could I do German? Could I do marine biology? But just at that time, in nineteen, I guess nineteen ninety-two, believe it or not, they were um, uh, brought out this degree where you could spend uh, three years um, studying biology in German in this country, and then one year in Germany studying biology in German oh wow okay <laughs> yeah wow um, <laughs> and, and it, that was at Manchester Uni and, and it was a trial kind of course to bring a science and language together quite advanced and so I, I did that and I ended up going for my year abroad in Germany to the Alfred Wegener Institute um, in Bremerhaven which is a um, marine and polar research institute and um, where they have a massive boat called the Polar Stern it's an icebreaker and they take it out to Antarctica and and I was this like really young naive um you know 18 year old or not probably was about 20 by then wasn't I um and I and I was out in this incredibly efficient a professional scientific German institute Mm -hmm. and um having to speak fluent German so because none of them speak English to me they were really strict and um (laughs) And what they've done is they've taken this boat out to the, the, the Weddell Sea, or the Weddell Sea, as they said, um, and, um, and they've taken a, a footage under the Polar Stern of the bottom of the sea floor, and they'd, no one had seen the sea floor before and what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And then they've taken thousands of photographs, and then some poor person had to come back and go through every photograph <laughs> and identify what was in those photos. Um, and that was me. <laughs> <laughs> there in this darkened room for six months going through and I discovered two new um species it was amazing wow um, um, of a sabellidae these kind of filter feeders and um and and I um yeah I was really proud of myself but they never yeah. named it after Joanna McFarlane <laughs> um, but yeah so that that but you know that's what I um really believe about life really is that you get an opportunity and you should really grab it you know even if you're nervous if you're worried you're not sure if you eat deep down you know it's an amazing opportunity you just have to go for it and mm. I was so nervous and I was so um you know going out there to this really strict scientific German Institute but my goodness it was one of the best experiences of my life and I met some incredible people and I grew up a bit I think when I was there as well so that was a great start into yeah no that's definitely good yeah experience at any age but particularly when you're young and you're just starting out your career yeah it sounds like uh, you had a good experience 
Yeah, it was really, it was really, it was great fun. And my German was fab when I got back, of course, because we were immersed <laughs> in, the, in the language. So, and of course, because the Germans do, um, the scientists are so uh, perfectionists, really. I was only supposed to write a little like report of what I'd done when I was out there. And because they'd done, done it with me and we'd done all the research together, when I got back, the university said, this is master's level. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness how exciting I've already got like a master's level thanks to these German scientists and um, but anyway so that that led on and um but times are very different then with, in the world's conservation to what they are now because um after I came finished university there just weren't as many jobs around or job choices in conservation and um volunteering really was the only option um unless you were extremely lucky and um, um, unless I guess you've been volunteering uh, for longer than, than I had. Um, so um, I eventually did the project that many people do and they love uh, dolphins and whales in the marine world. They go off to Tenerife, which I'm sure you may have heard of this <laughs> Canary Islands um, used to be called Proyecto Ambiental Tenerife. I don't know if it's still called that now. Um, and, um, you know, I got out there. It was quite a new project at the time. And um, my role was to manage volunteers and get them on boats and monitor the very unsustainable whale watch industry, which was out there at the time. And I saw boats driving through um, groups of pods of whales and mothers and cars being separated. It was just a total mess. Mm-hmm. And, but of course, a lot of these boat, uh, boats were owned by kind of mafia style groups mm. and industry around it and trying to persuade them to be a bit more responsible was quite a dodgy business and the leaders of the project often were kind of tangled up in political problems and and sometimes you know dodgy uh, criminal activity was going on but um but no I I had an incredible experience there and then and then after that um so did you did you always have that kind of love for the marine side of things Have, have you did you focus on working on that or did you do a few different things yeah, no, I, I, it was always marine that um, I loved. I guess growing up in Cornwall, you can't help but be linked to the sea, I think, just because the lifestyle down there is very much like that. But um, yeah, no, I was, for me, it is always going to be about the sea for personal reasons. But for me, my passion is about wildlife conservation across the board. Um, so I will just be as excited to see a an amazing, I don't know, moth that um, <laughs> one evening, um, mm-hmm. right through to um, incredible flowers and plants and, and right through to whales and dolphins. So for me, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated in all of nature. So, um, but the sea is a personal, um, it's just a personal thing, isn't it, from childhood that I'm linked to that I can't ever escape from. So I think. Yeah, um, I feel yeah. kind of the same, but maybe not as warm as Cornwall, but I mean, growing up on the west coast of Scotland, yeah, I do miss, the, I'm not, I'm living in the centre of Scotland now, and you do miss the beach and the coast and being able to just kind of spend time around the water. So, so no, I get that as well. I feel the same. Um, And then after that, I mean, how did you end up kind of up here in Scotland then? What other kind of roles did you have that brought you up here? Yeah, well, I I, um, I kind of, when I came back from volunteering, again, still hard to get work and um, tried to apply for things, but there were so few and the competition was, and, and older people with more experience were getting the jobs then. And um, so I started doing other jobs, you know, like recruitment consultant and, you know, <laughs> temping and all that kind of stuff you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's funny now, you know, where I am in my career now, some of that experience of those jobs all those years ago have been quite useful, actually. Yeah. Because she's a manager recruiting staff and stuff like that. But um, but no, um, eventually I felt very much that 
um, I just needed to get back into conservation and get up to date um, after a few years of doing that. So um, in my late 20s, I went back to um, uni and did a master's in wildlife management and conservation. And, and it was six months theory, six months research. And I'd always wanted to come to Scotland to uh, uh, this beautiful country. It's so wild and places. And and uh, this this guy came into um, our university uh uh, sessions where they introduced charities and work and he did this presentation about Abernethy Forest and he talked about how um, you know when you're trying to manage a forest for different species for example you have red squirrels you have pine martens you have papakali got black grouse you've got a whole variety of them but the problem is that they're all protected so then you've got maybe pine martens eating eggs of things they shouldn't be mm. um and then you're like well how do what do you do about that and how do you how do you um, have those discussions about this animal and that animal which one is more important and oh my goodness and after you've shown me all the photos and all the wildlife and and the amazing conservation quandaries mm. um i was like oh my goodness i want to get there and do my <laughs> Abernethy. And so they did, they took me on for six months at the RSPB studying black grouse. Okay. And this is where I learned something actually really about myself, which maybe I knew a bit anyway, but um, I was always um, with wildlife. Um, you can go into the monitoring side and the research and the reading and then the publishing side and you can um, and, and there was always that way, like the Germans pushed me in that direction. You know, when we were doing that report, it was all very data analysis. And and, and I, I didn't really enjoy that side of it, I have to be honest. And when I was doing the black grouse research, I loved being out, walking around and doing my vegetation studies and all the rest of it. And then when I had to come back and type it all up and then I had to do the data analysis and read all the research papers, I realised actually, although the subject's fascinating, I could, I just don't think I could do this for the future. Like the yeah. academic side, like that wasn't for me. Um, but um, what I did start to realise was that I was enjoying more and more when I was bumping into people um, in the forest and they were going, what are you doing out here in the middle of the forest? And mm. I would tell them all about the research and what I was doing. And they'd be so excited and interested. And I noticed that in Tenerife as well, when I was out on the boats doing all the research, it was the engaging with the people about what I was doing, which mm. was what I enjoyed most. And I think I realised over time that actually my passion is nature but it's actually communicating to others how amazing nature is that I love more. And so the minute I see something amazing, if I'm on my own, I feel quite a bit upset, really, because I'm like, well, I want to tell somebody. <laughs> but there's no one around. Oh, <laughs> because we have photos now and phones to take pictures a bit easily. But I do, I do absolutely enjoy um, uh, that side over the kind of research data side. And so... Mm. I then got a job um, with RSCB at the Lockgarten Osprey Centre, which is quite famous. Um, cool. And I had a brilliant time there. And, um, and and that began my career with the RSPB, really. And I stayed with them and moved around different nature reserves doing um, public engagement, community engagement, um, some um, nature reserve practical conservation work um, and through my entire career. And then eventually found out I was quite good at fundraising. <laughs> so membership recruitment and all that kind of stuff, because my passion for, um, you know, why RSPB was great and, and saving nature that got people on board. And and eventually the RSPB came to me and offered me um, the job as membership manager for RSPB in Scotland. And that 
took me suddenly into the office again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I loved the challenge of that. Um, and and I, I did really enjoy that for a long, long time, because for me personally, the RSW was such a passionate organisation and charity to work for. I felt I was part of this big, big, um, um, really uh, what having a big charity that was achieving so much for conservation that I felt that I was in the right place with them. Mm-hmm. Um, money but it's funny how your career just goes off onto this sidetrack and suddenly there there I was um for over five years plus uh doing membership management project management um and one day I was thinking gosh I, I really miss nature yeah. <laughs> what what am I why am I not on nature serve anymore um and then I um became pregnant with my first child uh, well my only child Maggie and um gave me chance to step away um really and, and think about what I was going to do next and um, I remember sitting in a meeting with um, uh, uh, lots of people within the charity talking about one of the biggest concerns was that um, you know children's disconnection from nature and that in the future there might not be uh, enough children growing into adults to care for nature and fight for it and yeah. and, and that was a, a big worry back then and as it has been for a while and um, I thought well, maybe one day in the future I can do more about inspiring children. Um, um, but then I went and, and had my daughter and was very ill after that for a long time. And mm. that did give me a chance to have a think about, um, you know, what am I going to do next? And um, and that brought me to World Planet Explorers. And that's part of my existence now. Yeah. As you know, I've always had an interest in the connection part as well, particularly with kids um, connecting them with nature. But I think one of the good things to come from the last year, as you might agree, is is that that people are realising how important it is to have outdoor spaces and to be able to get outside. And loads of people in my life who historically wouldn't really bother going out and about and climbing mountains, you know, are all getting outside now. So, yeah, that's, I think, one thing that more people have realised maybe over the last year, how important it is to have these outdoor spaces, not just for our physical health, but our mental health as well. And so, well, Wild Planet Explorers, then tell us a wee bit about it. Uh, have you? What have you been able to do over the last year? Well, um, before the pandemic um, arrived on our doorstep, um, I was always going into schools and um, nurseries and scout groups and guide groups and festivals, etc. Really inspiring and a love of biology and the study of life, really, uh, with them, and then showing them. Um, giving them ideas on how they can help. So each session that I do for the younger children from three to nine years old is around a particular animal. Um, I use interactive props and imaginative play and sometimes pop music if allowed um, to teach the scientific facts. And then they have some actions that they can take to um, help the animal or the habitat. And that also includes a couple of awards now. And one of them that's been really um, successful um, is the 3P Pledge Champion Award. And that has um, been running now for quite a lot for quite a few years and eventually um, Scottish Water and I um, had a conversation and um, particularly on the uh, area where I live on the coastline of Fife we are really up against um, sewage related items washing up on our shores yeah and um, I run a local nature conservation group where we live a voluntary one and we do a lot of beach cleans and we were pretty horrified by the amounts that we were picking up and so that to Personally, together with um, um, the idea of um, getting kids to take action, Scottish Water approached them and I said, look, come on, let's work together and address this because they're always trying to get that message about not flushing things down the toilet. It shouldn't, except the three Ps. And 
Um, and I um, suggested that I deliver these sessions into the schools, into areas where they had particular problems with blockages, etc. Um, and uh, and they took me up on it. So I've been working in partnership with them for this will be the third year. And what happened when the pandemic hit, um, uh, they asked if I could do it online. And so we've gone into an online partnership for this year, targeting particular areas where they have uh, blockages particularly. Um, and I totally understand a lot of people are very angry about um, uh, anything overflowing into the seas. However, people didn't put anything else down the toilet except the three Ps um, and being sick, of course. Um, then <laughs> picking these things off the beach and um, that's toilet wipes, sanitary items, uh, cotton buds and um, all of this stuff that is just hounding our beaches in Fife. And um, so um, I'm working to tackle that bit um, um, and hopefully try and clean up our beaches and our rivers. Um, and it is starting to show some impact. And the legacy of that um, partnership already um, was amazing last week because the P7s of a local school that did that um, came down onto the beach for their leaving uh, party. Party. and they were on one of the worst beaches and they picked all of that stuff up and they said I can't believe how much there is and I said well that's why we're doing the 3P pledge and the, the award because you're going to help change this and they were like yeah we're going to go to high school and we're going to tell them not to flow, throw anything down the toilet except the 3Ps and um, it's great to see that legacy now carrying on from this partnership. So yeah and I think in my experience kids are usually the ones to be are kind of telling the adults, you know, what you should and shouldn't do. I think kids today in general are much more aware. I think certainly than when I was a wee girl anyway. Um, they seem to be much more aware and much more interested in recent years, which is great. But I think wipes is one of the bad ones, isn't it? I think personally that people might just think, oh, you can just throw them down the toilet like toilet paper, but they're, well, they're plastic really, aren't they? So they're, they're quite a bad one, but there's all sorts of things, as you say, like cotton buds and all these little pieces of plastic that just end up um, in the sea. You know, it sounds like it's. I know it sounds like you're, uh, you've done really well, and and it's great, as you say. It's always rewarding when you see kids kind of taking it on and and taking it through their life, maybe, and that'll probably encourage them to to do something maybe similar when they're older. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. yeah. Have you been able to do some kind of online? classes with different groups and stuff throughout lockdown as well or what have you managed to do yeah so um uh, when um I couldn't do um I, when the lockdown happened I watched my inbox I'm sure many people with small businesses um, and visitor attractions and everyone else watched it just uh, literally a hundred cancellations within the space of about 12 hours I'm so sorry Joe we've got to cancel we've got to yeah. cancel and I realized then um um, right well well if world planet's going to survive i need to do something immediately so I, I immediately invested in um you know vinyl backgrounds and um uh iphone stands and i'd start i readapted all my well, adapted all my sessions uh to online and more activity side less prop use and i put them out online and advertised them and i got an amazing uh uh, feedback so lots of uh, loyal customers loads of new ones because of course the online side spreads yeah. right across the UK so I had lots of families from Orkney down to the borders down to England London joining for my sessions and that was brilliant but yeah. from that came then um, people hearing about Wild Planet that wouldn't have normally and one of those were was a a uh, lady that I've been working with for a long time around climate change education um, she 
together with her husband run Harwood Education and they have been leading on a climate change education program through Educate Global. And, um, and, and I'd always been interested in working with them because I very much believe that our schools should embrace, be embracing climate change education fully and, um, and not just about uh, climate change, but also helping um, children understand the transition we will be having to make to adapt to this new kind of planet we're going to be living on and, and the type of energy um, that we might be using and, and giving them skills and knowledge to know where they fit into that. So, yeah, really exciting. Cool. No, so I think, yeah, there was definitely in the first lockdown in particular, there was such a surge in, in online education and online resources. So it sounds like, yeah, you've been able to adapt really well. And you were mentioning there, you know, climate change, for example, in schools. Do you feel, what do you feel about what kids are taught nowadays? I mean, you can't generalise. All the schools are different, I suppose. But there does seem to be more of an interest and awareness. But do you think that they... Do you think that children today need to be taught a wee bit more about the reality yeah, of what's going on and what, what they can do to, to help it when they grow up? Yeah, so I think the important uh, message is um, very much about um, what children can do now. Mm. Um, so there was a big discussion around um, uh, everybody really talking in the, about future generations and climate change in the future. Um, even if you hear some of the big leaders talking, it's often about the future. Mm. but um, if you if you understand um, really um, what's happening right now to the planet, it's happening now. So yeah. we can empower children to take action now, and that 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 really is it's not just about taking action, but um, understanding their role so that they don't feel helpless or frightened, or but it's a, that we can take some practical actions to actually um, and help um, tackle this and solve it and slow down global warming and um, and actually um, children like you say now are, are pretty savvy many mm. of them to some of these issues certainly older children and some of the climate change sessions I do I get very um, hard questions coming at me from um, you know secondary level and even upper primary level because they've been you know following things online or um, uh, you know, watching things on television, hearing David Attenborough speak, they're watching Greta Thunberg. You know, they're much more. Many children who are already interested in stuff really are starting to know probably a lot more than adults. Mm -hmm. um, and so, actually, why not give them um, skills and knowledge to not feel helpless and and worried about it, but to feel empowered that they can do something about it. And um, and also, what are those jobs that are being created through this new green economy that we will be moving towards through renewable energy, through um, all of that um, engineering we're going to need, that technology to shift? Um, and um, and the, the children right now are the ones that are, are, need to learn those skills and um, and so that they can go forward and be part of the change. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's an exciting time for children, you know, to know that they've got that a power in their hands to, to help that you know? yeah and I think the career side of it is important for me in the sense that if I've spoken to so many people recently say to do with this podcast and all sorts of different things that like myself they'll say when they were younger you know if they wanted to work with animals they were encouraged to be a vet or if they wanted you know there were certain roles that people were kind of told you could and couldn't do and there didn't seem to be that many opportunities but nowadays I think hopefully people young people are learning that there are so many different routes into the kind of environmental world. You know, if you do want to work with animals or conservation or, or as you say, the kind of renewable energy side of it or anything, there's so many different jobs that can 
contribute and help towards that so so I think for me um, in my experience of kind of secondary school in particular it's been really good to just try and open up everyone's eyes a wee bit to see the different opportunities and let them know you know what what kind of skill sets they need and what uh, and if they'd enjoy it or not as well um but yeah there are there are hopefully so many more opportunities maybe than there were a few years ago but no it's you're right though I mean my six-year-old nephew knows more about nature than I ever will you know he knows everything every species every particularly dinosaurs but it's it's good to encourage that when they're younger and hopefully this interest in outdoor education and being outdoors is going to continue and keep going and keep going it's not just going to you know disappear in the next year or two um cool but and and then your your actual your current job um I think do you work part-time with is it the association for the protection of rural Scotland so I'd not really heard about them before until I, I met you so could you explain could you tell us a wee bit about about them and and kind of what your role entails well, Katie, I was like you. I hadn't heard about them either, <laughs> which amazes me. Um, so, yeah, I met them um, when they were um, leading on the campaign for deposit return to come back to Scotland. And, of course, Wild Planet Explorers immediately, yes, we su- I support that. And I used to promote their campaign on my social media. And, yeah. and then um, they were looking for some people to chat to people about deposit return, obviously, because of my password at RSVB. That was a very comfortable place for me, sitting behind a stool or standing rather and so I did that and kindly invited to Blair Drummond Safari Park and, <laughs> and others um, uh, to do that. Um, and while I was doing it, I started to get to know APRS and um, and I was like, wow, it's quite a small charity. There's only a few staff, but they're leading this campaign on deposit return. That's quite amazing. Yeah. And of course, they had loads. Of, they, they, they managed to work across so many partners and collaboration with so many different types of partners like businesses, charities or individuals, all sorts of um, people and groups. And um and brought this all together. So anyway, I was quite inspired by them, really. And and um, but I just happily did a bit of freelance work for them and carried on with Wild Planet Explorers. And then when um, lockdown happened and Wild Planet took a dive, um, <laughs> booking, still doing some online, obviously, but APRS um, still had um, some funding for educational work and had asked me already to start helping design educational resources for them around deposit return. So I'd started to do that already. And then, of course, um, I had more time on my hands. And so they offered me a bit more time to work with them. Um, and I loved it. And I, I found out that they uh, uh, set up the National Trust for Scotland um, originally, um, that they support local communities on green belt advice and protection, that they support more national parks. That, you know, and but they're so small, but they have all these amazing people that support them, um, incredible trustees and others. And um, and I was like, wow, it just goes to show you, you don't have to be a massive um, charity to achieve a lot. Mm. You just really need to understand partnership working and collaboration have a really clear vision and some amazing staff um, and volunteers and look what you can do um so anyway so APRS I became their education manager back in October and um tasked with getting a, a campaign of education about deposit return out across Scotland in the lead up to the rollout hopefully in July 2022 or 
Um, and um, and that's been great. So we've designed resources for schools, um, video, a game for them, brilliant fun game that they can uh, do that's clearing up bottles and cans around mm. the a village. Um, teachers' notes worked. Everything you could possibly need to teach deposit return and also some Green Belt National Park stuff in there for schools as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the take-up has been really positive, but we're trying to get the word out there to more teachers um, and, and families and leaders and group leaders who want to find out more about it please go on to the aprs uh, website aprs.scot and you'll see all the learning pages there um, and you can um, download it for free or i can post a copy to you as well for free and um yeah we, we've had great response but we're just trying to build more links now to get those educational resources out there and um more and more children and families knowing about a deposit return uh, coming and why and what are the benefits of it yeah, well, that that's what I was going to say. For anyone listening who has maybe not heard of it or doesn't know anything about it, um, can you explain, you know, what the campaign is and and why why it's needed? I mean, why in particular is there a focus on safe bottles? Yeah, so um, the Have You Got the Bottle campaign was about bringing back a system where um you pay an extra deposit on any drinks container that you buy and then when you return it back over the counter or to a reverse vending machine a special machine you would get your deposit back so at the time um we were campaigning and we were asking the public how much would you be happy for um and actually 20p was the amount that um came through very uh, strongly from the public um, and um, the hope is, is that, well, we know from um, evidence from around the world that deposit return um, helps reduce litter because, of course, when a bottle or can um, is uh, worth 20p and you maybe got five of them, you've already got a pound. Do you want to be thrown <laughs> away or do you want to be taking them back to get the 20p? Also, though, other people pick them up to get the money, whether it's children or um, in other people. And um, and also some of the money can be used um, in some countries. They use it to fund local community projects and other things like that. So what's got them, what the Have You Got the Bottle campaign did was look across the world, take the the best from around the world and bring it together for a Scottish um, deposit return system. There was huge public support for it. So we went out on stalls, engaged with thousands of people, consultation happened and um, predominantly the public were really, really behind um, having it um, to reduce litter. Also all that valuable resource, whether it be metal from cans, plastic um, from bottles, um, all, all of those materials are just being wasted. So they're either, if they're at litter, they're being wasted. If they're ending up in landfill, they're being wasted. They're either being incinerated or um, sitting in landfill. And what an incredible waste of um, materials and um, not being reused again. Mm. Um, so if you uh, recently, a new report was um, uh, released called What We Waste uh, by Reloop. And they, it showed very clearly the positive impact deposit return can have in some countries also alongside refillable schemes as well, which is also something um, uh, that obviously we're very in support of. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the children who have engaged with deposit return in schools so far are so excited about it. They can see they, they went out around their schools. We ran a competition uh, recently and they went around their schools picking up cans and bottles and going, wow, we'd have 50. 40p now, 60p now. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and realising that, that it could really benefit the environment um, as well as not wasting resource. And also we know that, um, you know, recycling 
uh, rather than producing new releases, less emissions, and it's an all-round positive um, uh, scheme, and really. So, yeah, it's an mm. exciting one that's coming. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's really it's really good to hear that it's, yeah, it was very productive and people seem to really support it as well. But yeah, the, the, it's, it's going to be great, hopefully, when it all happens and it will hopefully make a big difference. Cool. No, then, and what else, um, what's kind of the next thing you'll be working on then for, for APRS? I mean, do you have, you, you mentioned kind of green belts and do you work across all sorts of different projects? Um, have you got anything in particular that you're going to be focusing on in the next year? I think um, um, definitely getting the message out about deposit returns um, and the priority um, for my role at the moment, but also raising awareness just really of APRS to the public, trying to get the message out there that this little charity has achieved so much and with more resource could achieve so much more, and particularly in relation to the Greenbelt um, side. So they have uh, APRS has the Greenbelt Alliance, and that's lots of groups that have come together under this umbrella and they they offer support and, and advice um, to, to groups or individuals who are, are starting to approach the planning system and understand how they can either put in an objection. As you can imagine, it's pretty daunting to do that. Um, and so um, really for me, it's, it's just I'm not I suppose I'm an education manager, just not for schools, but also public. And I I really want to try and make sure more people know what APRS are, are trying to do and, and achieving. So that will be part of my role. So I will be doing a bit more face-to-face -face work and getting out when we're able to and talking to people about APRS and um, hopefully fundraising a little bit alongside that. And so if anyone wants to give a donation who's mm -hmm. listening to APRS, please do. And um, you can join as a member too. Um, and, we, and I hope um, I can help them grow as a charity. Yeah, no, definitely. As I say, I'll, I'll obviously share everything when the podcast goes out and share all the relevant links and all the ways that people can support and donate. And, and I'm keen to learn more about them as well. So I was just thinking about all the different roles you've been talking about and thinking there'll be some people listening to this who, who are wanting to get into kind of conservation or, or perhaps your line of work. And what advice would you give to those people um, if they're trying to get a job in conservation or the environmental fields and they're maybe in the early stages of their career? So um, I imagine most people will have said this, <laughs> but when someone is in, um, as a previous employer of people working in conservation, um, you will, of course, um, have to put in an application form and uh, maybe a CV. And what the person who's employing is looking for is... Um, that you have taken time to learn and gain knowledge and skills um, in the field you're applying for. So even if you have never worked in a particular role, you can get the most incredible experience um, through volunteering. And mm -hmm. there are loads of people wanting volunteers. Um, and if you don't know where to look, you can always email me at Wild Planet Explorers or APRS and I can give you some tips. I'm very happy to do that. But what I would say is that it doesn't matter what age you are. You, mm. I really do believe um, you can switch career and get into conservation. And um, I, I've met many people who've left other jobs and gone into conservation because they've got incredible transferable skills mm -hmm. um, that they can transfer into that um, charity or group. Um, but also um, with some volunteering at weekends or do some residential volunteering. So um, if you've got some time off or you want to take some annual leave, for example, or if you're newly graduated, you know, do a year's volunteering if you can afford to 
to do it with some maybe weekend working or something um, in the UK or in an area that you want to work in. So if you like the sea, um, try out uh, some jobs in uh, volunteering in the sea. You might not enjoy the research side. Like in the end, I was a bit more liking mm. the people side with the mm-hmm. wildlife as well. Um, you know, try out different re- ro- roles in the areas that you're interested in and n- try and narrow down what it is you like and what you love doing. Um, and don't be deterred. It doesn't matter what age you are. And I really believe this. Um, you can get into conservation, um, but you just need to uh, you need to explore which area it is you want to uh, get into really I guess by volunteering and residential volunteering I would recommend as well mm-hmm. you know as I said that as I said uh, people early in their career in my head I was laughing thinking or people later in their career as you say I know yeah. I mean I'm an example I mean I didn't start off doing conservation so so yeah no there's it's never too late there's plenty of time if people decide they want to go down that route but but yeah I think as you say volunteering is definitely whatever age you are volunteering is definitely the best way to gain the experience and it gives you an idea of the reality of the work that you're getting yourself in for and and see and lets you see if it is what you actually want to do as well that's good advice and and finally how can listeners support your work or get involved or learn more you've obviously mentioned the website already for APRS and how they could donate and become members but how could they learn a wee bit more about your work with Well Planet Explorers and APRS? Um, I think I'd encourage if they're on social media always, always to follow our Facebook and Twitter for APRS and our Facebook for Wild Planet Explorers. Um, certainly both uh, social media streams are sharing uh, really up-to-date information on conservation stories and what's happening in the whether you're interested in planning and what's happening to our countryside um, uh, through to um, watching a um, a bumblebee eating from a flower on some of my wild planet explorers page <laughs> but you know um following on social media but if you're not on um social media if you um, know any families who'd like to come along to my wild planet explorer sessions um do do check out my website and hear more about what i do and and if you know any teachers um or group leaders or anybody who would be interested in our aprs educational resources and um, then please do uh, get in touch and um and let us know if you want any of our resources <laughs> yeah no it sounds like you've got lots and lots to offer so I'm sure some of the people listening will be intrigued and, and I'm sure you'll hopefully get some some visitors out of it but I'm sure we could keep talking for ages about all these different things but we have run out of time unfortunately but thank you so much Joe, for for being a guest today it's been lovely to chat to you and it's been really interesting to hear all about your your route in and all your different experience it's quite a, a varied career Thanks so much. It's been great fun to talk to you. Thanks, Katie.